The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. There's a wonderful book, Pilgrim's Progress, that we have shared many times. But today I want to return to it for a very specific reason. We live in a world that is so desperately deceived and and searching for what is vile and wicked. We live in a in a day when everything that is righteous seems to be cast down and everything that is evil seems to be lifted up. How do we deal with all of this? As Christian is walking toward that promised land. He is met once more by evangelist. Evangelist begins to talk with him about the crown, that is about the final reward of entering into the presence of Jesus. And he says, quoting 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27, the crown is before you. And it is an incorruptible one. So run that you may obtain it. Many who have set out to win that crown, even after they've gone quite a long way on the journey, allow other people to come into their life and snatch away that crown, that victory. So, Evangelist is coming now to Christian and he's saying, hold on. Don't let anybody take that away from you. You are not yet out of the reach of the gunshot of the devil. You've not yet resisted unto death in your striving against sin. Let the kingdom be always before you and believe with certainty and consistency the things that are yet unseen. Let nothing that is on this side of eternal life get inside of you. Above all, take care of your own hearts and resist the lust. Resist those things which are deceitful that are desperately wicked. Set your face like flint. You have all of the power of heaven and earth on your side. Now, as they continued talking with evangelist, he began to share with them that they would soon go through a town called Vanity Fair and that they would be set upon by enemies in this town who would be determined to kill them or to turn them aside from the path of righteousness. So be faithful unto death, he says, and the king will give you 
in that great day a crown of life. He continues, I saw in my dream that when they had left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them. The name of the town is Vanity, and in the town there is a year-round market called Vanity Fair. It bears its name because the town that hosts the fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain, things that are worthless, things that are without hope. Now, I've been curious about, okay, what is the difference between Vanity Fair and the City of Destruction? The City of Destruction, if you remember the story of of Vanity Fair, the City of Destruction is that place from which Christian fled Why did he flee? Well, he saw in the scriptures that the city was going to be destroyed. It was going to be burned. But what really prompted him to leave the city of destruction was the conviction found in the scripture regarding his own sin. He was so convicted and so burdened by that sin that he had to flee for his life. And so we have this story of this allegorical story of Bunyan written in the 1600s. We find Bunyan writing that Christian is so concerned about his sin and so under conviction regarding the ugliness of his own personal life that he flees from the city of destruction. And you remember he went through the swamp of despond as he almost gave up hope of ever finding any relief. And many, like Pliable, who come to the swamp of despond, finally say, I'm not going to make it through that. I'm going back. I'll learn how to live with my sin. And as one brother wrote to me this last week, I've not overcome my cigarettes. There's a deadness in his tone. He's not overcome his sin. And so he has continued to live in the city of destruction. Well, what's the difference between that and Vanity Fair? Vanity Fair... is the system of the culture. It is outside of my own personal sin that has already been dealt with. Vanity Fair is a place that we must all go through. We are all, in fact, going through Vanity Fair. So what is the difference? The answer is that Christian and faithful have been changed. They have dealt with their personal sin. 
they have repented of that personal sin and they have turned aside from it. They now see everything through heaven's eyes, the schemes, the traps, the enticements, the entertainments of the world. They all see this in a new way. So now they're going to encounter the corporate system that annihilates all the forces who would block the progress. You see, what are these systems? Today it is not acceptable in our culture to say that homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, sodomy, it's not acceptable to say that these are all out of the pit of hell. They are of Satan. They are sin. They are wrong. They will take a person to hell. That's not acceptable to say in our culture. Likewise, it's not acceptable in many parts of our culture to take a stand against the murder of babies. They call it a woman's rights. Never mind that the placenta is of a different DNA than hers. Never mind that a woman is supposed to have absolute rule over that life that she is giving birth to. So abortion is very popular today. Death is very popular. And when we stand on the side of life, we are cursed in today's culture. We are also told in today's culture that everything is about success, about money. Everything is about having it my way, doing it my way. Everything is about dominance and control, not about submission and love. Today we're told that women must dominate. Of course, you understand that when there was one God, there was one rule. And it was a relational rule. It was a rulership that did not dominate it was not a rulership that manipulated. It was not a rulership that exercised its authority over others. But rather, it was a servant leadership. It was not one that established itself as, I'm the boss. In our culture today, we have three gods. We have our Lord God of heaven. We have ourselves. And then we have everybody else, and everybody's trying to dominate everybody else and control and say what has to happen. But obviously, that's not biblical. Servant leadership, however, is biblical where relationally we love and share and talk together. 
everything Jesus did for us was relational. Dying on the cross. That doesn't mean there are no rules. It doesn't mean there's chaos. It doesn't mean that there's no authority. There is authority. But authority is not to dominate. Authority is to guide and to protect and to shelter. But in today's culture, that's not the rule of the day. So we have leftists and progressives, socialists, communists. We have all kinds of isms. We have the Pope as he brings destruction to the Catholic Church through his wicked beliefs, turning aside from the fundamentals of the faith. We have on every side the systems of today of control. That's Vanity Fair. So essentially, there's no difference between Vanity Fair and the City of Destruction. Vanity Fair is simply the City of Destruction with a party dress on. It's the place where the most seductive attractions of the world take center stage. It attempts to steal us from Jesus Christ. It's meant to cool our ardent fire to belong to Jesus. It's meant to shake our confidence in the reality that God is who he says he is and to cause us to say, if it's going to be, it's up to me, not up to God. And so submission is not a part of the vocabulary, if you please, of Vanity Fair. In Vanity Fair live those that are called broad-minded, who hate the narrow, self-fashioned, conservative position that says, preserve what is good and avoid what is evil. It's a place where Christians are invited to rest from what is seen as the overwhelming control of Jesus. And so arises out of that city a saying that Jesus is a hard man, that it's hard to follow Jesus. Can I tell you today, it is not hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to follow the ways of the world and the flesh and the devil. It's easy to follow Jesus if one is simply willing to lay down their life and utterly submit to Jesus. And if we're willing to submit to one another in love and righteous actions. Now, as soon as I say that, somebody's going to say, but 
But that means then there's no authority and there are no rules and it's all chaos. No, that's not what it means at all. Vanity Fair is a place where Christians have stolen from them their love for Jesus. And it's a place where all of the wicked amusements of the world rise up and say, come play with me. It's where the movies are all being shown. It's where all the wild sporting events are being held. It's the place where every distraction that can possibly dull the sense of sin is on full display. It's a place where Christians are are seduced literally into becoming lukewarm, both in their confession of faith and in their walk. Many concessions to sin are applauded in Vanity Fair as being mature, as being necessary to be accepted and loved. Everything in Vanity Fair is designed to detour the journey to the celestial city by whatever means are most agreeable to the fallen heart of man. Whatever is agreeable. Lying, cheating, stealing, pornography, smoking, drinking, cursing, chewing, fornication, anger, bitterness, pride, malice, unforgiveness. All of these attract and appeal to the fallen heart of man. to control, to dominate, to be in charge. All of these are very attractive to the fallen heart of man. Now that raises a question. Am I the head of my house? Well, no, because Jesus is the head of my house. Do I have a function as the as the man in my family? Yes, to protect and to guard, to guide, to love, to show compassion. All of that is part of my responsibility as a man. To dominate? No. To boss? No. To walk with integrity, yes. To have a heart filled with love and compassion. A heart of giving, yes. A heart that's determined to have my own way? No. If pandering does not work in Vanity Fair then they replace pandering with direct attacks. You're just trying to control. You think you're the boss. 
bitterness, separation, anger, cursing, screaming, yelling. But you see, when we become Christians, we're no longer bewitched by the seductive enticements of Vanity Fair. Now, if you're in Vanity Fair and you recognize it for what it is, you have to understand that you must be very careful. Have I gotten all of this down? No. Wow. As I try to feel my way through what is my appropriate behavior, what is my appropriate submission to Jesus, what am I called to do in kindness for my wife? How do I walk out this this journey without any of the Jezebel spirit being in my heart or in my wife? How do I make decisions that are unselfish? It requires a great reading of Scripture and a great coming before the Lord in prayer. It requires a great humbling of my heart. It requires a great deal of, of yes, even drawing firm lines and saying this behavior is not acceptable in our family because it hurts others. It brings destruction to the marriage. I hope you hear my heart today. What I'm trying to say to you is, look, we all have to go through Vanity Fair, and Vanity Fair is filled with all of the wickedness of the world, and most of us have been walking through Vanity Fair and have been so seduced and so dulled by Vanity Fair that we have adopted the ways and the means of that wicked city. And we don't even see how narrow the path is that we've been called to walk. Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew the seventh chapter, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That narrow road is called, in the Greek, the suffering affliction road. Why would it be a suffering affliction road? And why would it be called a groaning gate? Well, simply because we are so accustomed to having our own thoughts and our own ways and being in charge of ourselves that the idea of absolutely submitting unto Jesus, the idea of absolutely giving up control of our lives to him, seems utterly impossible. 
A dear brother was set on a course, a very profitable course. And he, gave, he was given a very clear word by God, stop, don't go there. Well, suddenly now that is a suffering road. It's a suffering gate. Why? Well, because this way it looks like I'm going to be well cared for and I'm going to find great profit. But Jesus didn't send us to find great profit. He has a plan for our lives. And can I be very, very straight with you? Sometimes my heart grows very feverish. Sometimes my heart grows very discouraged in this journey through Vanity Fair. And I want to say, Lord, I don't know which way to turn. How do I handle this? What do I say? Where do I go? And then I have brought to my mind the word of the Lord, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. And the feverishness of my heart is removed as I wait before the Lord. As I read the scriptures and pray, I'm not talking about five minutes here and there. I'm talking about seriously reading the prayer, reading the scriptures and praying. I'm just finishing reading through the Bible for the first time. I'll finish that in the next day or so. And I'll begin a second reading through that will finish in December. It's eating the word of God. It's reading, it's praying. It's. I've been slow this time in the reading of the word because so much of the word has convicted my heart and I've turned and I've just been praying and crying out to Jesus over this word, trying to understand it. And I'm going to this week go into some of that. I take a position that if you're listening to this broadcast, it's because you have a love for Jesus in your heart. But some of you, like me, may sometimes struggle and say, there are so many attacks coming from so many different directions I don't have wisdom to know what to do. And so all I know to do is lay myself out before the throne of God and say, Jesus, show me what to do. Show me what to think. Show me what to say. I don't know. I've not been down this path before. So today I come and I I say, oh Lord, mighty God, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I'm not going to make it through this wicked city if I am not delivered by your great power and mercy, by your kindness and by your love. 
Lord, break every enticement that has in any manner attached itself to me from worldly fare, from vanity fare, from its foolishness and its darkness. Lord, break it off me now in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, I'm asking for every person listening to this broadcast, would you expose to their hearts every attachment that has come into their life in vanity fair that is of darkness and foolishness of the demonic of the Jezebel of the feminine spirit of the devil Lord I'm asking that in every place there has been any deception that has entered our hearts any spirit of deception that has entered our minds I'm asking Jesus would you break that now by your precious blood Would you restore us to a sane mind? Would you give to us the gift of the baptism of your Holy Spirit in all of his fullness? Lord, I'm asking that now for every person listening to this broadcast. Lord, would you put your hand out now and touch us? Lord, thank you. I pray in your name in the name that is above every name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, there can be no pride in the heart of a pastor or an evangelist. There can be no pride in the heart of a servant of Jesus Christ. There can be no pride in thinking we've got it all down and we're on our way and there's no problem. No, we're in a war zone. As as Bunyan put it, we are still within the gunshot of the devil. He can still take us out. But if we are secure in the arms of Jesus, we're safe. And the devil can't touch us. If we're under the wing of our almighty Savior, the devil can't touch us. But to make sure we're there, there required of our hearts a humbling and a submission and a gentleness, along with strength and courage and integrity, determination, backbone that I'm not going to let the world and its attractions draw me aside. When a Christian brother says to me, Pastor, would you like to come to the house tonight? We're going to have some time to smoke cigars together as men. And we're going to gamble a little with cards. We're only gambling for nickels, but it's just, it's fun for us. What? Tell me, my brother, that you want to have some time for the men together to seek the face of Jesus, to confess our sins and our faults. Now I'm interested. But don't don't invite me to come and play cards with you. Don't invite me to come and, and gamble with you. Don't invite me to come and smoke cigars with you. That's Vanity Fair stuff. Do you hear what I'm saying?
companion goes on. He prophesies that one of them will die and not go through all the way to the celestial city. He says, conduct yourselves like men. Commit the keeping of your soul to your God as you struggle to do what is right. Then I saw in my dream that when they had left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them, and the, the name of the town was Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain. All that is bought and sold at the fair is likewise vain and worthless. As the ancient saying goes, all that cometh is vanity. Ecclesiastes 1 and chapter 2, 11 and verse 17 and chapter 11, verse 8, over and over. All that cometh is vanity. This fear is not new. It was established from ancient times. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, just as Christian and faithful are doing. Beelzebub, Apollyon, Legion and their companies, seeing that the pilgrims' path went through the town of Vanity, they conspired to set up a fair there in which all the sorts of vain merchandise could be sold all year long. The merchandise consisted of houses and lands, trades, places, honors, positions, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, delights of all sorts, such as whores and lewd entertainment, wives, husbands, children. These are things that are sold in Vanity Fair. Child trafficking. A horrendous wickedness in our nation at the highest levels. There are found masters and servants for sale, Lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not. Moreover, at this fair, you can always see the entertainment, the cheats, the games, the plays. They didn't have video games in that day, but video games would have been there. All the latest technologies would have been there. This is a place where there are thefts and murders and adulteries, false witnesses, false witnesses who cause death by their lies. Now, in this Vanity Fair, it's been copied. There are other fairs and other places in town there is, according to Bunyan, the wares of the kingdom called England, France, Italy, Spain. Then there's the German 
And I would add today there is the American and the Russian, the Chinese, where various sorts of vanities are also sold. And there is another of great demand in Vanity Fair, and that is the wares of Roman Catholicism. Bunyan was no he was no supporter of the wickedness of Rome in the sixteen hundreds. I likewise am not a supporter of the wickedness of our Roman Catholic Pope. He is turning all that is righteous upside down. He is building as best he can a one-world religion. And he sees himself as the head of that one-world religion. Now, am I against those precious men and women who are part of the Roman Catholic Church? Not at all. There are many, many, many in the Roman Catholic Church that the Lord God of heaven is going to end up calling out of that filth that the Pope is establishing. Many Roman Catholics will never buy into a mixture of Islam and Christianity. Now, in the Protestant side, we also have leading pastors, nationally known pastors. And those men are also working with Rome to bring about unity between Islam and the Christian faith. There is no unity between those two. But you're going to find all of that in Vanity Fair. The way to the celestial city lies, the path lies right through Vanity Fair. And you can't get to the celestial city without going through the wickedness of Vanity Fair. Even Jesus had to go through Vanity Fair. And he was invited by the chief of Vanity Fair to buy some of the foolishness He even offered to make him a lord of the fair if only he would show his reverence to the town as he went through. The prince was such a person, however, of honor as Beelzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a small amount of time in order to try to allure him to cheapen himself to transgress against the Father by buying some of these vanities. But the prince had no interest in the merchandise and left town without spending so much as one penny on any of it. Now, am I saying it's wrong to buy a house or a car or food or shelter? No. The problem is when those become the central focus of our lives. 
when that's what we're about, when pride rises up, when you see that car as an expression of your wealth and your pride and your ego, so you have to have just the right flashy car, the right Mercedes and the right wheels, the right truck. You have to have what you believe will tell people that you're somebody. That's Vanity Fair. So all the pilgrims have to pass through Vanity Fair when these two pilgrims entered Vanity Fair, they caused quite a commotion and everybody turned to look. Now, I want to go through three things that are a part of Vanity Fair that if you don't do this, you will cause quite a stir. First, these pilgrims were dressed quite differently from the people who lived in Vanity Fair. The people of the fair looked at them in astonishment, and some said they were just fools, and others lunatics. Others just called them outlandish men. They were dressed differently. They didn't go for the party look. They didn't go for the ego look. They dressed simply. Simply. Understated elegance. Fit for the work they had before them. They were not gaudy. They did not try to attract attention to themselves. Secondly, as strangers, their speech was judged as strange. Very few could understand what the pilgrims even said because they spoke the language of the promised kingdom rather than the language of the world, which is the common language of the world, of the fair. They didn't use the F word. They didn't use slang. They spoke simply with integrity, with compassion. They didn't speak loudly with arrogance and pride and haughtiness. They didn't demand their way. They didn't argue or fuss. They didn't complain. They didn't harbor bitterness. So they seemed unlike the people of the culture. They were not crude. They were not rude. Then third, and the part that most angered the people and puzzled the merchants that were in Vanity Fair, is that the pilgrims put no value on the fair's goods. They didn't even enjoy looking at them. The merchants would call them out to buy this or that. The pilgrims simply put their fingers in their ears and cried out, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and looking forward, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. 
Is this true of you? You sit for hours in front of the television or the internet drinking in all of the wickedness of our culture. Do you tell dirty jokes and and cuss, complain, argue? Are you like the world or are you like Jesus? When someone speaks harshly to you, do you answer with a soft answer? Or do you cut them to pieces and give them a part of your mind? Are you a Are you a citizen of Vanity Fair? Are you a citizen of heaven? Are you making your way to that celestial city? Or are you just doing the best you can do and trying to make a place for yourself with your own agenda and your own goals, your own dreams and your own ambitions? Or are you on the journey to the celestial city? One merchant observing the strange conduct of the pilgrims mockingly said to them, So what will you buy? They looked steadily at him and answered, We buy the truth. Well, this caused great offense, and the merchants began to despise the pilgrims because they were not interested in their lies and their merchandise. So soon they were being mocked and taunted. Some spoke reproachfully to them. Others began to call for riots and striking. Finally, the pilgrims caused so much commotion by their refusal to be like or purchase or participate in the wickedness of Vanity Fair that the natural order of the fair was disrupted. People were distracted by these righteous men as they walked through. So men were dispatched to take them into custody. Does this remind you of what happened in the temple when the disciples would heal or preach and they'd be taken into custody by the Jewish leaders because they were so unlike them? I think a question I have to ask you today, are you like Vanity Fair or are you like Jesus Christ? Have you made a decision that you're not going to be like the world and you're not going to be controlled by the work environment? You're not going to be controlled by what people think or what people say. You're not going to skip church because that's what's convenient for you. You're going to be in the house of the Lord. You're going to walk steadfastly with Jesus. Are you of this world or are you of this next world? 
Where is your heart today? What is it that your heart desires? So, Pilgrim and Faithful are detained. They're put in prison. They're questioned. And when they're asked where they're going, they answered, We're going to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to another city. They also told them that they had done nothing to the men or the merchants of the town that should have caused them to be mistreated. They only told them that they were not interested in the merchandise of the city. Well, they were taken and beaten. They were smeared with dirt. They were put in a cage to be a spectacle to all men. And they were kept there for some time as objects of ridicule and malice, of revenge by any passerby who wished to abuse them. And the great one of the fair laughed viciously and with great enjoyment. How can I be very clear with you? Any person, the scriptures say, who determines in their heart that they will follow Jesus will be persecuted in this world and will have much trouble. And every power of darkness will come against you to cause you to suffer. But in Jesus Christ, we have the victory. By the blood of Jesus, we have the victory. Jesus has overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it's going to take a great humbling of our hearts. It's going to take an honest crying out to God a repentance, a turning from all wickedness. It's very clear. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I am absolutely astonished by how narrow this road is. I keep discovering in new ways the narrowness of this road, and yet I rejoice in that as I submit to Jesus in every respect, his road ends up being wide open and pleasant. But the road I walk in the physical realm is fraught with every danger and every tribulation. I choose to walk with Jesus. Do you? Is the cry of your heart, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, teach me your way. Jesus, I must have more of you. I am hungry for you, Jesus. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I pour my heart out for you, Jesus. I hope this has been helpful for you today. I hope that your heart has been 
touched. This is a faith ministry. I want to thank those of you who have reached out in love and compassion. I just received today a beautiful a beautiful gift from one of our listeners for my birthday. I don't know how she knew it was my birthday coming up, but she did. And I thank you, my dear sister. This is a faith ministry. If you'd like to be a part of it, I encourage you to write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I love you. I'm very grateful that you walk with me, and many of you have been very generous and kind. We needed a hero last month on the third day of our offertory, and one of you stepped forward. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And for all of the others who stepped forward and gave, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can give online or you can find this broadcast and many others that will help you on your journey. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Jesus.